Yeah. The only reason I went to college or even got my MBA was because I thought I had to. I didn't know there was a different way. That's literally the only way that was ever presented to me. So I followed it because I didn't know any better. And it wasn't until my mid-20s where I was like, oh, wow, I don't think I'm normal. (laughs) Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, a little more than a year ago, I attended Pete Vargas's Reach Live event and met some incredible people. Today's guest is yet another example of a friendship I began to develop when I stepped outside of my comfort zone. Mallory Tadimi grew up in a normal family, expected to get a nine to five job and join corporate America. And like many people who grow up in a stable environment, she felt average, which can create an uncomfortable cognitive dissonance, as she put it, when you grow up and you end up loathing the very concept of being normal or average. Mallory was miserable, exhausted, and passionless in her nine to five job. She was checking off all the boxes for a normal but it didn't feel right. She wanted to be extraordinary. She wanted to be an entrepreneur. She wanted to live up to the potential she felt and knew that she possessed. It's safe to say that she's accomplished that. Today, Mallory is the owner of her own consulting company, Tadimi, which has crafted strategic plans to help its clients earn over $800 billion. And today, she shares with us the power of rejecting average, how to create your personal corporate exit blueprint, and how to stand out in a super noisy entrepreneurial world. And for all the access to the the information that Mal and I discuss on the show, head over to tadimi.com forward slash impact and download those resources today. That is T-A-D-I-M-I.com forward slash impact. So don't be a podcast junkie, bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Mallory Tadimi, a.k.a. Mal, as I've come to call you. (laughs) Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Very excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you know, we met actually at Pete Vargas' Adventure Reach uh, live event back in May of last year. So we've been friends for... For like a whole year. That's like a hundred years in in entrepreneurial world. (laughs) And I met so many cool people. And in fact, going to those kinds of events is one of the best ways to, you know, not only break your your thought pattern and and habits and get out of your routine, Uh but to build relationships and network. And maybe we'll just start there for a second and maybe talk about the experience that you've had going to live events and functions. Because I know, I mean, you're like everywhere. everywhere. You're like ubiquitous. You're at Traffic and Conversion, at Camp Maverick, at Advanced Your Reach, at, you know, what? why do you go to those things? I go to them because I don't have friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sad. 
let me further explain. So when you're an entrepreneur, like there's this journey that occurs. And when you become an entrepreneur, all of the normal people around you begin to ask why you're doing weird things because you no longer fit in. Because when you're an entrepreneur, you're constantly taking risks. You have to branch out. You have to try new things. You have to network. You have to meet new people. You have to do weird things like live stream and (laughs) (laughs) go on podcasts. And that's not normal to somebody that is not an entrepreneur or a business owner. It's just not normal. So what happens is the people that surrounded you for your entire life, and maybe if you're a little bit different and you grew up with just a really strong community of entrepreneurs, maybe you're a little bit different, but I didn't. I'm pretty sure my parents are convinced I don't make any money and (laughs) I'm like broke and I'm going to be homeless because I'm a business owner. So I grew up in a very, very traditional family where we don't own businesses. We work 9 to 5. We come home, we do our thing, and then we get ready on Sunday to go back to work on Monday. So Mm -hmm. for me, I didn't grow up in that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. So I had very normal people around me and I'm just going to use that with air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's pause. Let's pause there for a second because there's two things that I I immediately took note of when I first met you. The first is, and, and we just finished reading about reading this in the intro to your, to this podcast. The first is that you're incredibly driven and, and there's a lot of energy behind what you're doing, not just in the things that you're creating, but just in, in terms of who you are, you're a very high energy person mm-hmm. and you love to have fun. You're a fun person. Yes. So I'd, I'd love to, to spend a little bit of time learning about where that drive comes from, where that spirit of fun and adventure comes from. And maybe you can weave that into what it was like growing up as a kid. Yeah. No, no. As, so as a kid, I had a very normal upbringing. Um, I always had a home. I was not homeless. I don't have a food stamp story. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I actually had good parents. (laughs) So I don't have this tragic childhood story. So I grew up thinking I'm very average. And then when I also busted into the entrepreneur space, I also saw that I was very average in the sense that I didn't have this rags to riches story. Um, that so many people have. And I thought I was actually at a disadvantage for growing up in such a normal way. (laughs) Crazy. Mm -hmm. But that's often what gets publicized in the entrepreneur space. It's those rags to riches stories. So for me, I had a very normal upbringing. Um, It was very based around safety. You go to college, you get a good job, you get married, you have kids, and that's about it. Um, You don't travel to weird places. You don't try crazy things. And I found myself, even in college, feeling a little bit like I was in a cage. And as I started to transition out of my undergraduate degree, I went into corporate America and started working for a Fortune 10 company. I got the job before I even graduated. So I really didn't know any different. And eventually, long story short, I ended up feeling like I sold my soul to the devil when I took that job. Um, crazy as it is, I got that feeling at 22 years old because like, some of the first things I did is they send you a cell phone so they can get a hold of you all times. So you can check your email at all times. They send you a laptop so you're reachable no matter where you are. Um, 
I was doing consulting. So I was traveling all around the country. It would normally be probably about a 60-hour week and they track your billable hours. So you can't bill when you travel, for example. So if you're on the airplane, that's not really a billable hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although they tell you, hey, you can bill if you're thinking about the client. (laughs) Just so you can get the hours up, which is kind of crazy. Um, Just so you know what happens behind the scenes. But I, I was just thrust into this environment where I was constantly on a leash. And year after year went by where I was like, okay, I'm working like this. I'm giving up so much of my personal life. Mm-hmm. But for what? Mm-hmm. The promotions weren't coming fast. I was, but I was working so hard. And it wasn't a sense of entitlement. It was just more like you had to put in the time. So if you look at... If our, or well, if I looked at everybody around me, they might have already worked in that position for five, six, seven years. And they're like, yeah, I'm finally about to get promoted. And I just sit there after two years and I'm like, I cannot do five more years of this. And that's <laughs> to the point where I was like, I have to get out. I need to plan my corporate exit. Like, What is my corporate exit blueprint? And that's where I sat down and I got my stuff together. And I was like, Peace. <laughs> I love that. That you know, I think there's so many people listening right now that can relate to that feeling of like, oh my gosh, that I, I just hate this, but I don't know how to exit. I don't know what steps to take. And we're gonna yeah. we're gonna talk about that in a second. But something that you that you said that really resonated with me, and and I think that with a lot of people that grew up in a stable environment that didn't have to worry about where their next wi- meal was going to come from, etc. Is that they grew up feeling kind of average, you know? Yeah. And, and, oh, I totally felt average. And and, um, and and like you said, like that's just a very uncomfortable feeling, actually, when you realize mm-hmm. like you're anything but average, right? And so, like when yeah. I take when I take questionnaires, like like for example, I took a, a questionnaire. I forget exactly which one it was recently, and. It said, you're like most average people. And I'm like, oh man, I do not like that. I do not you like... You just got labeled average. <laughs> you know? I, I'm like, no, I, I don't like that. So like my, yeah. my life's mission is to, yeah. is to not settle for average because it, it means that you're settling for mediocrity. And, and you and I both yeah. believe that each yeah. and every one of us is created to do amazing things. We have so much potential. Even if you didn't go to college and get mm-hmm. an MBA, even oh, yeah. if you, even if you um, are a stay-at-home mom or a dad, you have so much that you can do and create in this world. And you just have to be willing to take risk and to take action. Yeah. The only reason I went to college or even got my MBA was because I thought I had to. I didn't mm-hmm. know there was a different way. That's literally the only way that was ever presented to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I followed it because I didn't know any better. Yeah. And it wasn't until my mid-20s where I was like, oh wow, I don't think I'm normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I had little, I had like little inklings, um, little visions of it, you know, through my teenage years. Like, why am I thinking this way when everyone else is doing this? But I really came into my own and settled into the fact and accepted that I'm not normal. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, that opened the doors for me to stop filtering myself mm-hmm. and to stop kind of holding my shine in, so to mm-hmm. say. That's all yeah. kind of um, But it just allowed me to open that box and see what came out. 
Yeah. I think that the biggest, well, I know that one of the biggest lies that everyone tells themselves is that they're just like everybody else and we're all unique and, and there's nothing common about any of us. So like what you're saying is, is the the absolute truth that people need to wake up to. It's like kind of unplugging yourself from what you've been told your whole life. And, and most of us that, you know, went to elementary school, then high school, then college, we were told where to go, what time to show up, what to do every single day for the first half of our life. And then we're thrust out into this world that, you know, we're totally unfamiliar with, except for the fact that if you go into corporate America, it's the same thing. What time to show up, what to do, who to talk to, when to go home. And then for those of us who are like, I'm done with that. It's like this great unknown that we step out into. And so I'd love to see, yeah. to, to learn how the lens that you've looked at, looked th- uh, at opportunity and risk through over your entrepreneurial journey has changed from, yeah. you know, corporate monkey to now. Yeah, pretty much. That's a really good description. So it's changed because now I know that no matter what I'm doing, I have the internal capability to succeed. Like it's in me. So if I lost everything today, I know that I could rebuild it. It might not look the same as it looked five years ago or 10 years ago, but I know that I could rebuild to exactly what I need in this day and age. So it's that internal confidence that has developed within me that now knows everything is going to be okay, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Everything is going to be okay because you know that you can already succeed yourself. It's not a problem. It's, it's there. And I think that took me years to develop. It's, that's the lens that I have now. And that's what I go into every opportunity to. And that's what I try to work with my clients on and my students. You already have everything you need to succeed. Do not think you are less than because it's there. You just have to let it out and you have to get out there a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I think my lens now is a little bit like that. But when I first started, I was just very, very, very scared. Um, I would say my biggest fear was fear of failure because Mm -hmm. I don't fail. Like Mm -hmm. Mallory Tadimi does not fail. (laughs) (laughs) And... What I've learned is I still don't think I fail, but I think I get better. And like one of my favorite quotes that I I tend to say is there's no such thing as failure, there's only iteration. Mm-hmm. So for me, I like to show my students, my clients the lens that like, hey, if it's not working right now or if it's not exactly to what you want it to be, numbers-wise, ratio-wise, whatever, just iterate, iterate a little bit more, move a little bit more this way, move a little bit more that way. So I try to teach that lens. But Mm -hmm. the lens that I had uh, when I first started to get into the entrepreneurial space was very, very foggy. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I'm going to dip my toe over here, but I'm only dipping my toe because if I go too far, I might actually fall in and not be able to get out. (laughs) So (laughs) I was very, very cautious, right? So I I kind of found that the way that worked for me being so afraid of failure was I tried to get my first client as I still had my corporate job. Mm -hmm. That way I had the room to play around, see what people responded to, see what they didn't respond to. I didn't immediately wake up and say, okay, today's the day that I quit and I have no income. 
Because yeah. that doesn't work either. Because you still yeah. need money to grow a business. Let's be yeah. honest. What was the day? What was the moment? Even be, maybe before you got your first non-corporate yeah. client, but what was the moment that you were like, no more, I'm done. This is, I'm like, I'm done. I remember like when I interviewed Marie Forleo, she had a moment where yeah. she was on, she was a junior trader on the New York Stock Exchange. And she just walked out of the, out of the trading room floor in the middle of the day, went to the Trinity Church and sat on the steps and called her parents and said, I'm not doing this anymore. What was your moment? My moment was right before I was about to have my daughter. I was working for a corporation and I had been there for, I think, eight months. So I wasn't going to get covered on any type of maternity leave or what they call FMLA because you have to work for somewhere for 12 months. And I was going to have her and it was like eight months since I was working there. So I was facing having my first child um, and then not having any type of leave available to me. So I ended up having to file for a medical leave of absence, which is just you only get six weeks off only. You don't have a choice to have eight weeks off. You get six unless you have a C-section. Then they give you eight. But you get six weeks. It's 100% unpaid. And then you have to come back. So what ended up happening was I had to go back to work. The day my daughter turned six weeks old, she was 10 pounds. So at that point, she was 10 my pounds. Gosh. Wow. And it was just like, okay, I have to take my 10-pound baby to daycare. And I was just like, I was a mess, you know? <laughs> like a first-time mom, first of all, you're a mess. And then like the fact that you have to leave your tiny baby. I mean, some babies are born in 10 pounds. And then yeah. like, it was time to go back and to just sit in a cubicle with fluorescent lights all day with my coworkers constantly being like so mean to me, harassing me, different things, because they always like to give me a hard time. Um, it was a very competitive environment. And I was like, why am I doing that to myself? Why is this okay? Why sh should being treated like this be okay? And it was that point, I was like, no. I'm going to go find a client. I'm going to do this exact same thing, but I'm just going to go help somebody else do it instead of have somebody do this to me because no human should be treated this way. Mm, I love that. You know, it, it brings to mind something that Dr. Carrie Rose told me about you. And yeah. I, I asked her, I messaged her on Facebook the other day. I'm like, hey, I'm interviewing Mallory. And uh, do you have any questions that, that you oh, think that's I so cool. her? Or, or do you have any, anything that, uh, what's your favorite characteristic? I've never met anyone that so unabashedly spoke their mind. She's brilliant and doesn't hold back. And I'd love to learn about whether during those times, did you, before you stepped out into doing what you're doing, now this is my question, not, not uh, what Dr. Yeah, uh, Dr. Yeah. Rose said, but during all of these times, did you feel comfortable in your own skin? Did you have a sense of your true gifts and talents or were you, or did you feel like, this souvenir coffee mug here, uh, <laughs> doing something, but not necessarily the right thing. I, I knew that I was different. I knew that I had power. And it was kind of scary that I knew that. And it was like literally just ready to burst out of me as soon as I took the cap off. And I was very afraid to take the cap off because I didn't know what would happen. Because again, I'm raised in predictability, right? Everything has to be predictable and secure. So at that point, I was like, crap, if I take this cap off, like, 
what in the world is going to happen to my life, my family? Like, What happens if I actually use what I know I internally have? Because for so long, I just kept it filtered because I knew it was safe to keep it filtered. Mm-hmm. I love that. Wow. I mean, like, I think that 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 is the number one thing holding people back is leaving that cap on. It's like potential is all of this energy, right? That That is just yeah. stored and unused. And it takes turning on the faucet or taking that cap off. And we really don't know the, the reaction that the world is going to have when it sees who we really are and what we're really capable of doing. And and one of the things that you said is is you had you sat down and you built out your corporate exit plan. Yes. And I know that there are people listening right now that are like corporate exit plan. Corporate exit blueprint. Corporate exit <laughs> blueprint. Yes. What in the heck is that? That is your escape from jail. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a monopoly when you get that get out of jail card. That is exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a plan to get out of jail, right? (laughs) If you think about it, you have to have clothing. You need to know where you're going. You need to know how you're going to get your next meal as soon as you get out of jail. And then you need to know, like, what's the first thing you're going to do? Where, like, who's the first person you're going to go see? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, were you literally thinking, like, hmm, if I were in jail and breaking out, this is what I would have to do? <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like, okay, so the things I need when I get out of jail. And I was like, <laughs> I was thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, this is going to get really nerdy. But, we have to have shelter. We have to have safety. We need to have food, right? Mm-hmm. So if we picture that triangle and you can go Google Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's kind of nerdy business school thing. But it, it's kind of says that you need to have these things before you can progress to the next level, which would be relationships and a, a little bit more uh, higher level things that you can engage in as a human being. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the basis covered because if you can't eat, you don't have the strength, you can't drink, you don't have strength, you're going to end up dying if you can't mm-hmm. eat or drink mm-hmm. eventually, um, as well as if you're not sleeping or if your body is left out in the cold. For example, if you're homeless, you could die of exposure and all kinds of other issues. You can get pneumonia, blah, 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 blah. So we really need to make sure we're taken care of as a physical human being. So that's the first thing I was worried about. And I was thinking, okay, how can I make sure I have this covered? So as I started to figure out Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I started considering how exactly I was going to have my bottom level of needs met, the food, the safety, the shelter, that kind of stuff. I was like, all right, so the first thing I'm going to do to make sure this is covered, I have two options. I can either just live off of my savings... Or I can sit here and maybe be a little bit more productive in my cubicle and I can work maybe like two hours a day. Like I could just blast through a bunch of work because I'm a really hard worker and I know I can get the work I need to do done in two hours a day. So I did that. And what I found was I would have like six hours left where I would just be sitting there in my cube, messing around on Facebook, whatever, walking to the water cooler, eating company cake, you know, like all those (laughs) stupid things you do, eat bagels, go to different meetings. So I would just waste like six hours of my day. And I was like, man, 
what if I tried to find a client for those six hours instead of just looking like I'm busy? So what I did is I worked really, really hard, like nose down to the keyboard for two hours every morning. And all my other team members, they know they're there for eternity. They're not going anywhere. So what they do is they, they would take two, or two hours of work and they would expand it out to eight hours. You know, Work expands as long as you will let it expand, right? Mm-hmm. So they would let it expand for eight hours. But what I did is I would be really efficient and just get my stuff done then for the next six hours, my head would just be down and I would work on figuring out how I'm going to get my first client doing my own thing. What am I going to offer? How am I going to do it? So I literally sat there. (laughs) Not that I recommend this to everybody, but I literally sat there building my business from my cubicle while I was getting paid. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. You know, one of the things that you said that I that I love and I've been actually thinking a lot about is actually Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I mean, if you've ever taken like a basic level psychology course. I mean, I think probably in high school, they, they teach it. But one of the things that they really don't talk about is that every single level from security to self-actualization yeah. requires work and effort. Yeah, they don't and, tell you that. <laughs> and, and the work and the effort as you progress up the pyramid gets more and more challenging and requires you to go deeper and deeper. And that is the thing. I, I think it's pervasive right now in our, in our entrepreneurial culture. I think it's pervasive in the corporate culture and in culture in general is this expectation, especially for us who grew up in, in a stable environment. I was just talking to a friend of mine who created a, a, a machine learning technology that is actually going to be used in the, in the uh, health and wellness space. And they've specifically done studies on professional athletes that have come from socioeconomic challenged socioeconomic situations versus professional athletes that have come from stable, established, affluent uh, environments and how quickly they are able to adapt and how resilient they are to setbacks and how quickly they're able to overcome failure. And it's remarkable. It's remarkable that the, the differences between these two groups of people. And I think that one of the ways that we can self-correct, those of us who have grown up in these stable environments, is to put ourselves in these challenging situations. Yeah. And I think that's why I often did that. I mean, I, I was the college student that would run off to Europe and maybe tell my parents like a day before <laughs> because <laughs> they would worry so much. It, like they just, they've never even been there. I've been there 
many, 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 many times. So for them, it's like, oh my God, this huge risky thing. And yeah, fine. Of course it's risky. Traveling is risky anywhere. Mm -hmm. Don't go into dark alleys. Don't do stupid things, no matter where you live, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I always had to get out there and do this crazy air quote stuff because I never had the opportunity to do it growing up. I, I just, I never really had anything challenging presented in front of me. So I would get a little bit bored. So I would figure out how to create these challenges for myself because I think I wanted that self-growth, but I didn't know how to go out and find it. Mm -hmm. So I would create situations that were challenging for me or where I had a high potential of failure. And I would go in there and I would just like purposely have crap thrown at me so I could become better, stronger. I, I could grow. Because I wasn't getting it from my external environment as is. So I created challenges for myself. So I might not have had the 30,000 foot view sob story growing up. But damn, have I been through a lot. And a lot of tears, a lot of struggle, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of like self-sabotage. All that stuff that comes in when you're growing... I've kind of done it all to myself. Mm -hmm. Like I've gone out there and I've created those opportunities, which is a little bit interesting. So mm -hmm. I kind of became the risk taker that had to get out there mm -hmm. and, and just throw stuff at myself because things yeah. are so steady. You know, I, I what, what you're saying resonates with me and I'm sure listeners because ultimately you're talking about facing your fear of failure. Oh yeah. And I, and I think that the... The real, the real truth about the, the whole idea of fear of failure, it's actually not failure that we're afraid of. It's actually feedback. It's somebody, it's your mom or your best friend mm -hmm. saying, told you so, you know, or yeah, yeah. see that I yeah. told you that wasn't going to work or, you know, whatever, or you're stupid or, or even hearing yourself saying, you're so stupid, you know? Why did you oh, yeah. do that? You know, I'm the hardest person on myself. You know? Oh, I think so, we all are. Yeah. We, our self-talk is so important. And, and I think that we have to be willing to face the fear of feedback and do the work, the visualization, the mental preparation that when we are launching something or embarking on an entrepreneurial journey or already in the midst of one, that when we do stumble and fail, we have to be mentally prepared to respond to feedback yep. in a positive yeah. way. Yeah. Um, I want to move on to clarity because one of the things I think that you do with your clients is you help them really gain clarity because there's, there's people that want to do stuff. You know, they're doers. They, they really want to get stuff done, but they don't necessarily know really quite clearly what it is that they want to do. Maybe they have like this, you know, nebulous of an idea. How do you guide them through from where they are to, to that clarity point? So the key to everything I do is I marry strategy and marketing. And it sounds kind of odd, but I think the two go hand in hand when it comes to actually getting the revenue growth, getting the clients that you want. You've got to have the two together because you have to have a plan behind anything you're doing that's front-facing. And anything that you're doing front-facing is some sort of form of marketing. If you're on stage, if you have a logo, 
if you have a website, if you have a Facebook ad, if you're doing a live stream, if you're doing a podcast, that's all some form of marketing. But why? What do you have? Like, What's your foundation behind it that's going to actually get you what you want? So for me, when I work with my clients and when I work with my students, I'm always bringing them back to the, all right, what is your three-year vision? Right? Like, what do you see this like grander scheme as? Mm -hmm. And then we're like, okay, how exactly do we build this for you? And then it's just a fact of reverse engineering so we can figure out how to get exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. So we reverse engineer between strategy, like business model. What, how are you actually bringing revenue in? How are we diversifying your revenue streams? Because one great example, for a lot of my clients, they come to me, they have a business, but it's only one revenue stream. It's a one revenue stream business. So what happens if something external that you can't control even, or something that you can maybe, dips your revenue stream? What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, Most millionaires have seven or more revenue streams. So that's a huge risk uh, when you come to me and you say, Hey, I have one revenue stream. I'm like, Oh my God, let's get you stabilized. Right. Like if you get sick even, or if I don't know, your funnel tanks for some reason, or Facebook changes an algorithm, how many clients I've had where Google changes the algorithm and they're no longer getting all the clients that they used to have. Right. Mm -hmm. This stuff happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So I really work on clarity for your final goal. And then we figure out how to make sure we build a proper foundation so that you have a lasting business and not just Mm. uh, one revenue stream job. How many clients come to you and don't actually have a real true idea of what they really want? Everybody. (laughs) 100%. So so how do they do and it changes? Yeah. So so how do you how do you help them identify that and and take and really because I, I think that nobody knows what they really want. They yeah. They they they're observing what other people have and they like that, but they don't really know what they want. You just have to keep asking why. And it might take about 10 asks. So if you come to me saying, I want more clients, I want more customers, whatever you're doing out there, right? I, I want more coming in. Okay, well, why do you want more clients? Well, I want to make more money. All right. Well, why do you want to make more money? Well, I don't really want to have to work as hard. You know, maybe if I had more money, I could have more staff to help me do some things. Well, why do you why do you not want to work as hard? Well, and then we're getting into like yeah. layer four and five. Well, I just had a new baby, you know, or I'm getting married, or I'm really trying to plan for retirement. I can't keep working like this. Or I want to get out there and write a book. And if I keep doing my daily job, I don't have the time to do that. Mm-hmm. So it might be like, all right, well, why do you want to write a book? Well, I feel like I've been through a lot and I can really help people that are going through the same thing. Well, why do you want to help people? So yeah. you keep getting deeper and deeper into the process. Mm, mm, I love that. You know, and, and in that process, you're probably able to take these people who have been doers pounding nails their whole life and get them to stop doing the things that they shouldn't be doing. But which brings up another question. Why is it that entrepreneurs get stuck on doing things that they know intuitively (laughs) that they shouldn't do? Because we're control freaks. 
<laughs> Duh. <laughs> What's your favorite success story of, of working with a client that you've, where you've really seen them come in and they're like a mess? And then you've, you've taken them through this process where you've built this blueprint, you've identified the opportunity, you've connected it with their why, so to speak, and then they're off to the races and you're just like celebrating in the corner. Oh, one of my favorite success stories is from about a year and a half ago. I had a client that lost all of her revenue stream. Huh. Surprise. Like It actually does happen. If, if you're heavily dependent on one client or one revenue stream, and if that goes away for some reason, you're toast. Even in, if you're going for, for example, an acquisition or a sale of your company, if one of your revenue streams or clients is more than 20% of your gross revenue, that becomes like the biggest red flag possible. So that was her situation. She lost her highest revenue stream and she literally went down to zero. And it was, it was something that was building up. So she came to me right as it was about to happen. So it was kind of like there was nothing left to do to save what was already in motion happening. So it was just like, okay, well, how do we prepare for the blow that's about to happen? Let's get the momentum rolling now. So a couple weeks after this happens, you have a steady flow of new diversified clients coming in. So we worked on that a little bit before it happened. And in one month, her revenue stream grew 500% because we put such a heavy effort into getting that momentum happening. A couple weeks later, it was like close after close after close after close after close after close because she did that lead work ahead of time. So when big client went away, big revenue stream, all the other diversified revenue streams came in. Mm. And 500% growth in one month is just insane. (laughs) Did she she like collapse? I mean, did she have the infrastructure to handle that or... Yeah, so that was the next problem we had. So you know, in marketing, how you're, you you open and close loops, and that's how ascension happens. For example, so you help them solve one problem, but now that problem causes another problem, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, it wasn't on purpose, but but this problem happened to cause another problem, which was onboarding and implementation. Mm-hmm. Once you get so many people coming in at one time. Mm-hmm. So that's what we had to hone down next. Mm. And for that, I used a system that I call the 90-day sprint, which is what I like to take my clients through to get them through the next 3 months to achieve a really big goal. Mm. So for her, that next 90 days was really about how do I get all of these new clients onboarded successfully so they stay my clients, so they mm-hmm. are getting the results. Mm-hmm. So we moved into this 90-day sprint that became about the success of her team being able to get it into place and then her team managing, as well as the client actually seeing the results that they came to her team for. Was this person like in a crowded competitive landscape for what she was offering or was it super niche? And No, it's extremely crowded. It's one of those spaces where in the coaching and consulting and service-based space um, where it's just yap, 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 noise, 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 noise. You yeah. know how crowded that space is right. these days. Service-based yeah. coaching consulting. It's horrible. So, so how do you create when there's so much blood in the water? You and I yeah. were talking on, online a while ago about blue ocean 
that mm-hmm. book and Blue Ocean Strategy and yeah. dealing with blood in the water. And, and every market space is so crowded, almost saturated at oh, this point, especially yeah. in the consulting space. So how do, you, how do you create a little blue pocket for yourself? You offer something that nobody else is offering. So you get creative with your offer and you can even take examples from other industries. I like to use the example, you know how some businesses will be like, oh, we're the Chipotle of. So it might be like one of those sushi businesses where you go in and they like make your role as you move down the line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, we're the Chipotle of sushi. Right. (laughs) Or like Netflix is another good example. How many businesses now have moved into that kind of subscription service where you're paying X amount of dollars a month and you get access to whatever is in the library, right? And the library gets updated with new courses or in Netflix's case, new movies or new material, whatever it may be. So I think one of the best ways to do it is to get really smart and clever because your competition has their nose down and they're just like, work, 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 right? Because they're busy. But if you can figure out with um, the little extra time you have while you're trying to just branch out like crazy, if you can take that extra piece of energy you have and figure out how you can make your offer totally different from what else is out there, Mm -hmm. then you're going to be set up to succeed because a lot of people will say, Hmm, I haven't seen that offer before. Like a good example of what I've seen recently is um, don't pay until you get results Facebook ads, right? So as a business that runs tons of Facebook ads for our clients because we marry marketing and strategy, I look at that and I'm like, okay, well, that's one way you could branch out because there were so many marketers just using this as an example, like, hey, run your Facebook ads, make a million dollars. And lo and behold, it never works, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So an example of the blue ocean strategy in that case would be coming up with an offer that was only pay for results Facebook ads. So all these marketers started offering, only pay us when you get results, right? So they set up the campaigns and everything else. And then if the leads start coming in, then you're charged after two weeks or a month or however they Mm -hmm. want to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's a good example as well. What is an an industry or a set of entrepreneurs that you see really deploying this innovative strategy? I know you just gave an example for Facebook, but what's a non-digital space that's also doing this? A non-digital space? I'd say things that like events or in-person sessions are something that's really growing right now. I could give you like retail or something like that. But at the end of the day, most retail is tied to digital in some way. Right. Um, So I'd like to stick to the service-based example of that, how we can start to beef up what we do offline. That's kind of like a blue ocean strategy at this point, to be honest with you. Because so much has moved to online. Yeah. If you're doing something offline, it's Mm -hmm. kind of different, Mm -hmm. right? Because everything is online these days. Mm -hmm. So why not try something offline? Another example, a marketing example, some of my clients are having a lot of success with direct mail. Go figure, right? Direct mail is dead. No, 
it's not because mm-hmm. people stop sending it. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 So now you have a chance to stick out above the noise, right? Yeah. And then you yeah. can create all the digital stuff. Like if you just get them to the website, then you can pixel them and all the other fun. Right. Fun and I think stuff. that that what you're just talking about there is intimacy. There's this like, you know, in- interesty yeah. is the new uh, black, so to speak, you know, because we've, <laughs> We've yeah. lost this sense of intimacy with other people and relationship. And it's something that people are waking up to and craving. Yeah. And again, that's why I go to so many events, bring that full circle, right? Or yeah. If I'm there speaking or if I'm going there, a lot of times I'll just go to events if I'm not speaking because I know my friends are there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as mm-hmm. crazy as that sounds, because when I do get around my friends, we create businesses. We do joint ventures, other opportunities. We kind of bounce things off of each other. So it doesn't even have to be this like formal mastermind thing. It's just sometimes really good to catch up with people that know exactly what you're going through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, as we as we wrap up our conversation, I have a few more questions, but I want to make sure that we give people the opportunity to connect with you online, both in, in the digital space. And uh, in the real space, are you going to be doing any live events yourself? Uh, yeah, I'll be speaking at Camp Maverick, which is in like two weeks or so. We're oh, having cool. it somewhere right outside of Austin, Texas. It's Sleepaway Camp for Entrepreneurs. <laughs> um, I'm in the Maverick community. I'm a Maverick. Um, so what they do each year, and this is the event that's open to everybody. So if you catch it and you get an opportunity to apply to go, do it. You don't have to be a Maverick to go to camp. But um, I'm going to be one of the counselors, as they call it, this year. (laughs) So I'll be speaking there. But that's something that I'm really, really looking forward to. If you were sitting across the table from uh, from yourself, you know, now, uh, you know, today, and and going back to the the years when you were, you know, stuck in this corporate grind, because there's a lot of people that. Are either there's there's people that are teachers that listen to my show. There's people that work for corporations that listen to my show, but that all they all have these aspirations, but they're afraid to mess it up. Right? They're afraid to mess up this thing called life and the opportunity that's in front of them. They're afraid to face that fear of feedback. What would you say to them? So for myself, I would say to stop being so hard on yourself. Look at what you've already achieved. You've done all of this on your own. Nobody has handed you a single thing. Sure, you've been fed and clothed and sheltered as you were growing up, but nothing else was handed to you. Nothing. And look what you've already created. So wouldn't it be cool to know what else you can create if you just got out of jail? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. And where, where can people connect with you online? So the best place to connect with me is the website. And that is tadimi.com. T-A-D-I-M-I.com. I know it's a really weird name. <laughs> My <laughs> husband is Moroccan. And there's many stories going back to how they ended up with the name Tadimi. So that's T like Tom, A like Apple, D like David, I like Igloo, M like Mary, I like Igloo.com. I've got that memorized because I have to <laughs> everybody. Um, now, but I, yeah. <laughs> I, I always conclude every conversation with the same three questions, especially if, but only if you're a first time guest on the Impact Entrepreneur Show, which, which you are. So, 
uh, and we're really ha- happy to have you. The first question is if you could take any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? Hmm. What if I already think I have the superpower? Okay. Well, what, what is it? <laughs> what is it? People listen to me. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it's crazy. I, I can get up and I could stand up and say like, all right, everybody, I don't know you, but I really want you to touch your toes right now. And I can get an entire room of people to touch their toes. And forever, I've been trying to figure out why people actually listen to me. Yeah, I know I know my stuff. I've found success in my businesses. I've been to business, but whatever. You can put all those vanity things in front of it. But forever, I mean, even as a teenager, people would listen to me. And I've always been just sitting down trying to figure this out. But recently, I think I have figured it out. It's because I'm just extremely transparent in anything that I do. And I'm like, I just really want you to do this. Mm -hmm. And if somebody really wants you to do something, and it's not going to hurt you or harm you in any way, why not do it, right? Yeah. So I think it's about the way that I'm able to communicate in such a transparent way that Mm. people are like, yeah, Mm. whatever. You know. Mm. So I think that's kind of my superpower is that I'm able to just get people to follow. Um, maybe it's leadership. I don't know. You guys can dissect it for me and let me know what you think it is because I'm still I, trying I to figure that. it out. I love that. I think that ultimately, at the end of the day, the reason why people aren't transparent is because they're afraid that the person that's buying their services is unaware that the person selling the services is going to get paid. <laughs> and so they try to mask it and put this like special yeah. like thing to hide the fact that there's a, a commission or a fee or something yeah. there, you know? At the end of the day, a business has to make money. If a business does not make money, let me tell you what happens. First of all, money is a tool and you can only look at money as a tool. That's it. It's just a tool, right? So if you have money, you can first take care of yourself. Back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? If you have enough money, you can take care of yourself. If you have enough money, you can start to take care of others. Mm-hmm. So once you're at the point where you have enough money to take care of others, you can start to use that money to create the impact that you know you were born to make in this mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like this three-step process mm-hmm. where money is the tool behind all of this. Mm-hmm. And if you're not making money in your business, how can you create that impact that you want to make? Mm. You, you can't. It's mm-hmm. going to be really hard. Money is a big amplifier when it comes to impact. Mm-hmm. So that's how I like to look at it. So don't let your money thoughts get you down. Or if you feel like you're not worthy of making money, get out of your own head because it's not about you. It's mm-hmm. about the impact that you were born to make. Mm-hmm. And without making the money, it's just not going to happen. Preach it. I love it. Preach. I love it. I love it. Next question. <laughs> What are three lies that prevent us from uncapping our full potential? Three lies. Number one, I am safe. You are never safe. I love that one. You're never safe. It might be good right now, but you might lose your job. Mm -hmm. You might lose your top client. You might get sick. (laughs) Your revenue streams may shut down for some reason. It's never, ever safe. 
So get used to being unsafe because that's the world that we're in. Mm -hmm. But just get used to it and know that you can move to a safer spot with your own powers and capabilities. So number one, you just have to know it's never safe. So don't keep telling yourself you're safe and it's all good because that can be taken away in an instant. It's happened to me. It's happened to most of my clients and it's just life and we can't get out of it. Another lie is I have time. No, you don't have time because guess what? Time again might be up for you. I think time is a little bit related to safety, right? Mm-hmm. You think that you have time to make the money to take that dream vacation. Well, what if you're not here to take that dream vacation? You might think that you have time to fix the relationships that needed that need to be fixed in your life or that need healing. Time is not guaranteed. Time is the most limited resource that we have. So I think telling yourself that I have time, it's just not true. So add some urgency, some bounce in your step mm-hmm. to what you do. And then another lie is that I can avoid failure if I do this. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. So if I pad myself over here, I can avoid failing here. Um, so for example, if we take it back to leaving the corporate world or your corporate exit, your, your strategy, your blueprint, like how is this going to happen? You need to just be able to get out there and just start. Like, you just have to put like one foot in front of the other. It's going to be baby steps. Like, it's hard to know how to just jump in and do something if you've never done it before. Stop beating yourself up about it. Like, Mm -hmm. how would you know how to start a business if you've never done it? Yeah. You're going to fail. You're going to, you're going to (laughs) fall. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're very, very few people ever don't crash the first time they ride their bicycle. There's nothing else you can do to prevent that failure. And that's kind of what I had to learn or how to stop telling myself, right? Like if I can only get this done and this done, then then it's going to be all good. Not be good to do this, right? Mm -hmm. But stop trying to do all that extra stuff and just do it. The last question, it comes from a title from a book called How Will You Measure Your Life? And that is the question. How will I measure my life? How will you measure your life? I don't think I'll get the opportunity to necessarily measure it because I think that we never know when our time is to go. Mm-hmm. And I think up until that last second or that last breath, we're still creating, still living, still breathing experiences. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think, I, I don't think we get the opportunity to measure it because it's, never totally complete until like that last second Mm. and that last transition. Mm. So I truly think we don't really get a chance to measure life in its entirety. And I don't necessarily think it's fair to measure it from here up until here, like a point of sickness or where you know you're going down. And you know something like a surprise death could happen to you. You could just be walking down the street and an icicle can hit you on the head, for example. Mm -hmm. I used to live in Chicago and that <laughs> stuff would happen <laughs> like from the big skyscraper. Oh my gosh. So you don't even get the chance to measure it then like at all. Like you don't even get to think about it. So I think it's hard to measure what your life has been, but I do think we can take little check-ins um, mm-hmm. without seeing that total view and say like, okay, where I am right here and right now, if I were to just immediately go, 
what would I wish I would have changed? Mm -hmm. And at that point, for most people, it's some type of relationship that they would have changed. Mm -hmm. It's about like human interaction and it's about people. So Mm -hmm. knowing that for most people that are looking back on their life and facing death and knowing that for like 80, I think it's like 80% of people, it's about some type of relationship that they would have spent more time with somebody or they would have healed something with someone. I think that for me, I'm very cautious about my relationships and the people in my life to make sure that it's constantly in check and I feel good in that space. Mal, thank you so much for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. What a wonderful way to conclude our conversation. Such a unique answer to that question. I cannot wait to share it with the audience. Thank you so much for having me. I have thoroughly enjoyed this process and I thoroughly enjoy being your friend as well. I appreciate you having me here and thanks to your audience for listening. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.